Yodlahihu, and welcome to another episode of No Pointers. We are your hosts, Gerald, Stephen, and Mark, Mark is the last one again. That's awesome. He is always we we the other day we came to the conclusion that it's always and Mark. So we changed that for the previous episode where I was and Gerald. Um, but yeah, you know, life happens. It's just Mark. One day we'll make a and Stephen. And Stephen, I'm yeah. Sure. Maybe, I mean, Stephen just has to catch the spotlight. He's always there. Um, anyway. One day. <laughs> today we're going to talk about home setups. We've already talked a little bit about Corona times things. What does our home setup look like uh, for working? But I, I have the feeling that this is also going to be a lot about gadgets and uh, other things that we have in our homes. Let's find out. So before we get into our um, home office setups uh, and all the things that comes with it, uh, I first need to talk about, I think it actually has to do with a little bit of home office setup. Uh, so Stephen, are you getting the Xbox? Are you getting the PlayStation? What it's going to be? It's going to be an Xbox. That That is the thing I know for sure. Um, that's where all my peeps are at. Mm -hmm. And that that's what I've had for God knows how many years by now. Um, the only question is, yeah, can you get your hands on one? Because the pre-orders are opening. Um, well, at the time of recording, the pre-orders are opening tomorrow. So, you know, we, we have to get our uh, little sleeping bags and go out to the stores and sleep there to, to in order to get one. I think we'll have to compete. You have to compete for what? With who? The two of us. Ah, that's right. There's only one in the town that we live in <laughs> and we have to fight yes. for it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Uh, that's how that yeah, goes. Are you are you getting the tiny one, like the the the, the little one? Or are you getting like the? Uh, the oh, the big Mark, one? And what's you, the difference? You, you're surprising me. How do you know about this stuff? Are you are you allowed to read? Oh, well, you know, the interwebs. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, breaking out of the we circle. We need to talk about how you surf on the interwebs and what equipment you're using. Uh, so that's right. You have the small one and the big one. Basically, PlayStation and Xbox both have that setup. Um, and for PlayStation, the specs are like identical, uh, minus the uh, like CD tray uh, or how you would call it. So you cannot put discs, disc tray, that's probably a better name. Um, you cannot put discs in it, but the specs are the same otherwise. Um, and I think it, it saves you $100 or something. Um, and for Xbox, you have the bigger one, the, the Xbox Series X and the Xbox Series S. Correct me if I'm wrong. And the Series S totally is the smaller one, uh, which is a little bit prettier, if you ask me. But uh, the PlayStation 5 is, is horrible to look at to begin with. Uh, so you have the Series S, but it's also the specs are a little bit lower than like the, the Series X one. Uh, and also that one doesn't have a disc tray again. Yeah. Um, besides the fact that you probably scared away all the PlayStation aficionados um, uh, let me by just, saying the new one is I, Let me just do a disclaimer here. I switched to Xbox because I started working at Microsoft and I get a free Game Pass. <laughs> that's right. One of the perks, baby. Um, but So that's the one reason I got a Xbox, also a digital version. And um, Game Pass is awesome, by the way. But before that, I was also always team PlayStation and I, I have both now. Uh, but Xbox is pretty cool and uh, PlayStation is pretty cool as well. They have some 
exclusive titles that I really like. Uh, but that is becoming less and less. And so, you know, I have been a hardcore PlayStation fan, but this last design is just ugly. I, uh, I, I tend to agree. So now we've completely eradicated all the PlayStation yeah, guys, well, probably. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. It's not the prettiest thing to look at. But like you said, the Xbox Series X, I think the main difference is that it's not natively 4K. Um, it upscales to 4K, I believe. But that's something that the current Xbox One X or whatever they call it, the, the naming is becoming quite confusing. Um, that already does that as well. But other than that, that I think that's the major difference mm -hmm. and the disc tray, yeah. obviously. But so, Mark, yeah, and I just heard, and I just heard that uh, Microsoft actually acquired Bethesda. Bethesda. So, thank you, You're thank welcome. you. Yeah, you know, I can I can mess up names like yes. any anybody else, and so I, I, so quite a few exclusive titles that are now coming out for the PlayStation are now sort of owned by Microsoft. So that should be interesting. That should definitely be interesting. I think the uh, the Elder Scrolls and Fallout franchises are quite big franchises to be uh, acquired by Microsoft. So if they have some sort of exclusivity going on, then they uh, did quite a deal. Yeah, it's uh, it was quite a surprise. Well, to me anyway. I mean, I like to play games. I'm more of a casual gamer, I think. So I don't follow the news. You mean socially being socially, socially distant. distant gamer? Yeah, something like that. Um, and, but I don't follow all the news in detail, so I, I didn't really see this coming. But uh, uh, yeah, it was it was quite a surprise and quite a cool surprise because now suddenly I have a lot of colleagues that are making video games. Um, but, you know, and they they also, like Bethesda itself, acquired like ID Software or something, right? So also like Doom and all those kinds of games are now owned by Microsoft as well. So uh, it was a pretty, pretty big deal, I think. Absolutely. And since I'm since we, everybody knows I'm I'm not really that much into playing games, but one thing I know about playing games and that is you need quite a good home network to be able to do it. it. it and really on our last, so smooth, Mark. I just have to say it's so very good. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for messing yeah. it up. So, and since we all know since the last blog post, we're all pretty much in the Ubiquiti fan club, and uh, we're all chugging along with that thing, and uh, quite happy now. When you set up your home network, I think that's like the yeah the backbone of your home. Literally, I mean, who cares about plumbing? Who cares about insulation? You need network. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. So the the, the thing it works how it works here in the Netherlands is they're actually fighting fighting air quotes for the right to um, to deliver to to use your own modem. So because the thing that we have now is just you get a contract with uh, uh, an internet service provider and they will provide you with a modem that uh, fits in their network. It's most of the time pretty crappy. So uh, all the people will, well, all the people that have a little bit of a technical background will go out, uh, set it into bridge mode. So it will just uh, put through the, the internet connection and they will set up their own um, um, router that is uh, decent uh, just, just behind that. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the way it works right now. And that's something that I did as well. And I had the, uh, Steven help me out here because you had the same thing, the Netgear, Night Elf, Mohawk 9000. I don't know. It's, it's this <laughs> monster of a thing with big antennas and it, it has all the, it looks pretty cool, but it's a Netgear something, right? And it's, it's quite expensive. It's a Nighthawk. Right. Well, there we go. 
Um, so, and I think it's pretty decent, but the way I had set it up, because also like the point where my internet connection is coming into the house is like in the living room, uh, where of course you would want to have like the rest of the stuff, um, somewhere in, in the, uh, how do you call it? Yes, I know what yeah, you mean, right? <laughs> but I do not know the English word for it. Uh, so where all your power lines come from? <laughs> uh, Mark knows. Come on, Mark. Help us out. Pa- power bone? So, sorry, what are you trying I, to say? I guess now? it's the fuse box, and that's yeah. usually in a closet here in the Netherlands. Okay, again, so Somewhere this might off. be something yeah. very locally. So the fuse box is here, a, a door in the hallway usually. Um, and so th- you probably want to have all your stuff there, right? Um, and so I, I, what I had set up first is that my modem would wirelessly transfer all the stuff to my, uh, Netgear Nighthawk MoElf. Um, and so that was already like a, a not so great setup to begin with. Um, so then I asked my good friend, Steven, I decided I want all the ubiquity stuff and I did it, went out. Um, blew out the credit card um, max and got all the things. Uh, but I needed a cable from my modem to the uh, uh, fuse box thing. And so, again, I don't know if this is something Dutch, but we have this crawling space uh, under under the house. Um, and uh, I had my good friend Stephen over. I, I gave him a beer, and he was so kind to drill a hole in my floor, um, put that cable under there, and uh, now I have great internet ubiquity all around and high fives and everything is cupcakes. And not long after a leak was discovered in that same yeah. crawl space. <laughs> I do not <laughs> claim responsibility for that any of these. Um, but that still uh, That's how that started. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Getting, getting air quotes to the bottom of ah. things. Yep. Yeah, no, I I have a similar story. No, not really. No, but uh, before I had a Ubiquiti, I, I had a Linksys router. And um, the, my, my biggest problem was the apartment that we had had two stories. The Wi-Fi coverage was not ideal everywhere. And uh, I, I have already marked Stephen on a previous podcast about how the Wi-Fi reception was on the potty. And yeah, my biggest problem there was that the Wi-Fi reception on the potty was like non-existent. And that's a serious problem, obviously. And um, there were also some other dead zones, to be honest. And so I, I looked into how I could repeat my network, and I got a special thing from Linksys that where I could then uh, have a uh, two two Wi-Fi hotspots combining to each other. And uh, yeah, it, it never really worked really great because they had to be really close to each other. Because um, <clears throat> other the, I mean, I know from from some renovations series like in the US where you have walls made out of wood a lot of the walls here are made out of stone and concrete and they even sometimes like to put in some metal in between it which is really bad if you want to have a wi-fi signal going through it and so yeah what i what i ended up trying to do was uh, actually connect them via network cables so you got like the network cable uh, connecting all the hotspots and that links is set up would not work i found on the internet that they said it would work but it never really worked, and so uh, in the end, I uh, I got my credit card, and I bought myself this beautiful ubiquity setup. Read all the manuals for three days, and then became an expert <laughs> and plugged oh, it yeah, all together. Yeah. It, no, it, it sounds it sounds worse. It sounds worse. You you have to get you have to be the expert before buying stuff, so you get the right stuff. Setting it up is actually quite a breeze. Yeah, I don't think we need to 
go too deep into mine because I think even the last pod already covered that. Um, I did mention I was going to put a Raspberry Pi in my Fusebox cabinet thing um, to get all these uh, cloud key goodness so you can manage your network uh, from anywhere, basically, instead of just a dedicated machine. But that uh, that actually worked, and it's all set up in less than a week. It's wow! Amazing. Amazing. You're doing so good. I'm so so, proud. so your five minute tutorial went one week. It went about an hour, I would say, with all the updates and all the things in between. But yeah, it it went pretty smooth. So one mm. thing that I'm really wondering: so if you're listening to this and you have this setup, it seems to be kind of specific to people living in the U.S. At least on my Twitter timeline, um, and the, the, the people there seem to get like these big racks. So the actual things that you would expect in an office or in a data center, maybe uh, with like the, what is the one, the Ubiquity Dream Machine, I think like this big, huge thing that you slide in there, you screw it, uh, and and you have, the, I don't know, a gazillion uh, spots for cables and, and patch things and whatever. Um, so, but, but do, do you have that, Mark? I know you don't have it, Stephen, because I helped you install the stuff. But Mark, do you have that in your basement somewhere? So like the the, the, the ginormous rack to, to put stuff in because... Um, so again, if you're listening to this and you have that, I'm very curious. Is that it seems a bit of overkill to me, but um, I mean it's cool to have, but I, I don't feel I I would need that for my home. Well, well, yeah, yes and no. So um, when when I moved into my house, we we redid uh, most of the electrical stuff, and so I got I got network. Uh, I can patch my network into pretty much every room, like. I never ran, I never thought to myself, it would have been really nice to have a power outlet or a network cable coming out here. That problem has been solved for me. And uh, so, yeah, I got one of those boxes with all the nice things in it, but I, I never really upgraded to some serious, you know, like these rack mounted switches and stuff like that. So it's it's basically, I, I got one of those things from a uh, from a relative for free. And so it's it's all like lying on an old switch so my, my tiny ubiquity things are like lying on that one old switch, which I'm no longer using because it's, I think, a 10 to 100 megabit switch. So really, really old, but it still does the job. And uh, yeah, it looks it looks super fancy. And I can also put my network storage into there, my NAS. So that's that's really nice. It's all down there, tucked away. I, I, I can only recommend it. And it looks super cool. I mean, I think it would look even cooler if I like put in the, these light strips and stuff. But yeah, it's in the <laughs> cellar. So. Yeah, so yeah, I got the same. I got in the, the, the fuse box closet. I'm just going to name it that. Um, I but So I, I just put a couple of screws in the wall and I hang it on that. Uh, cables going all, all the ways that they need to go. Uh, I just got a switch between it, another switch all the way upstairs. Uh, I got a cable running all the way upstairs. I, we didn't have the luxury in this house that I have a cable coming out of a socket here, so I had to um, I had to make my way through the stairs and uh, do whatever. But you know, I made it, and so a couple of switches and things, and uh, I think I'm pretty good here. And uh, so I don't I don't need really have the need for like the the big rack setup. I, again, it, it's pretty cool, but I don't really see the the need to do that uh so the other thing and that's the, the last thing we're going to say about because that else we're going to only talk about this the really cool thing that we have um with these ubiquity things i think is um uh, like the power over ethernet uh, ethernet thing 
Um, so, I mean, that's not specific to to uh, Ubiquity, of course, but uh, so you can power your uh, hotspots, your wireless hotspot, for instance. Uh, you can just power that through your Ethernet cable. So you don't need any uh, separate uh, power cord. So you, you have just one cable running to your hotspot and you can um, power it with that. And I have also, I mean, you have the big switches uh, which uh, like provide the power for the power over Ethernet. Uh, but I have a little switch here at my desk to um, uh, connect a couple of things. And even that little switch um, can be powered through power over Ethernet. So again, no extra power socket thing. I can just plug that into the network and uh, it works while also distributing the, the signal. So that's pretty cool. Um, Mark, you mentioned your NAS, your Network Attached Storage, uh, which is, again, maybe something only people with a technical background will have. Um, because what are we talking about here, Mark? What What is it? What is this? Well, NAS is the way I like to think of it. It's like a, a dream that one day might come true, having my own little server in the house, you know, uh, some little screen attached to it where just like matrix command line stuff is running by. Uh, didn't do anything of that. No, but I mean, a, a network attack storage, uh, I, I use it uh, at home. I, I have a QNAP system. I think they're like two two big families, which you usually end up with. You have the Synology guys uh, or you're a QNAP person. And uh, yeah, um, that's, that's, I think the two big ones, uh, I think they're pretty equal for what it comes to and you can just do a ton of stuff with it i mean you could set up your own vpn access point uh you can obviously store files on there you get tons of programs uh, i got an app installed on my phone which backups which does a backup of all my photos to uh, the nas storage automatically uh, which works really nicely and uh yeah, you. I, I think you could even install Docker containers on it, and and have your entire, yeah, you know, network thingy running for stuffy and thingy, and yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure you know exactly what I mean. This uh, this sounds very good. Yes, um, I also do have a NAS or a network attached storage, um, but it's really old. I think it's a 2000. 11 model if i'm not mistaken like that that's really old at this point um but it does what it needs to do for me which is host some of my files basically that i don't want to put on a computer somewhere that isn't on um and that's yeah pretty much it that i do with it so, so you got your network stack storage to store files which you don't want to put somewhere else yeah, yes. I'll just we'll just leave it there. Steve. <laughs> yes, I, I told yeah. you it's it's a great thing, but it doesn't do much for me. It's also like set up in in RAID zero, so if if it's lost, it's lost. Yeah, so I have it like for exactly that, like the the RAID thing. So I've had it like forever. I started with a uh, two disk one. So the people who don't know what we're talking about, so basically this is just a. A, a computer like without a screen um, uh, mark so even, I mean they have little little screens basically but you, you can attach the uh, screen I, I got a screen pause on it just really? just saying you know you could you could in theory you really? could 
you, could, you don't usually don't, but yeah, okay. sorry. Yeah. So <laughs> normally they don't have a screen. I mean, those things are evolving probably as well, but uh, typically it's just a, a, a thing where you put in a bunch of hard disks and it just has a web environment where you can navigate to from your browser. Uh, and other than that, it's just like an external hard drive that you would connect through USB uh, to your machine, but then connecting it to the network. Um, and it can sit there, it can wait, and it can hold your files. Um, other than that, they have evolved beyond that because they can also act as like media uh, players or servers, and they can uh, they can be your your Git server. Uh, they can be like F- web, web server. server, yeah, whatever. Um, Cameras, yeah, server. yeah, yeah. We're not gonna just name all the servers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's what it does, and I've had it since forever. And usually, it has, it can have one disc, it can have twenty. Uh, so I started with like a two disc one. Um, I don't know what. Uh, it might be a Netgear as well. Now, now that I think of it, uh, I'm I'm secretly a fan of Netgear, um, and I'm unaware of it myself so but now i have the qnap one uh which has four discs and the four discs one is is mostly because of the like the backup uh thing that you have so the other thing whenever you have a nas and and that kind of stuff is the raid configuration i don't know what raid stands for actually i i pretty much knew that at some point in history but i don't know it now um so but that stands for something and um what were the configurations again you can it can save a file and it will distribute it like evenly over all the disks uh i think that's like the raid 5 way of doing it right so um, i have four four disks is it yeah four disks and raid 5 and it will distribute like all the bits over the three disks i think and then one is more like the uh i'm just rambling around here interrupting at any time because i'm i'm not going to stop and the, the the on the last disk it will write some checksum kind of thing so whenever one disk uh, like fails uh, you can just replace that one and it will regenerate all the files that are on there so basically the only scenario that can happen is either your house is on fire and you probably don't worry about your nas uh, or two disks fail at the same time which is pretty unlikely um, so you will basically always have like a backup um, f- for all your files and that's the cool thing that i'm using it for yeah backing up data is is a, is a big one also for me uh, i mean you can with the nas you can set up a time machine which is the backup software for a mac os so you can also set up backs uh, backups for your windows machines and i'm pretty sure you can do the same for linux so you're pretty much worry free when it comes to that and i know there's a blog post from scott hanselman who takes it even a step further like he's got a serious backup strategy like he will back up his data from time to time onto a disk and then i think he brings it by to his parents or relatives and uh you also you can also use uh, cloud syncs, so you can. Uh, I know you could do it on my QNAP. You could say I want to uh, upload all of my uh, backups to Azure or whatever your favorite cloud would be, and uh, then also have a copy there. So if if things go sideways and everything is on fire, you will still have your family photos safely stored. Yeah, somewhere. and to be honest, the thing I used it back in the early days was. Uh downloading very legal torrents and uh, news servers and that kind of stuff. And uh, I used it indeed as the media server to uh, watch all the things on my TV. So 
Um, that was pretty cool. Uh, now you also see, I guess, a lot of stuff happening uh, where people maybe run Docker images on it or uh, maybe take it a step further. We've already mentioned it, like the Raspberry Pis. Those are like uh, really small systems on, on a really small print board. Like, I don't know, how many is it? Five centimeters by five centimeters or something? Uh, probably not because they're not square. Uh, but they're like really small computers that you can use for simple tasks. Uh, they're getting more and more powerful. And there are also people who run them in clusters to do all kinds of Kubernetes or Docker stuff or whatever. Do, do any of you have experience with that? I do not run any of that on mine. No? I only know it from watching YouTube videos that you could run your you could run Raspberry Pi clusters with Kubernetes and stuff like that. I don't, I don't know if people do it just for fun or if there's an actual use case behind it. But yeah, I mean Raspberry Pis they are re I think they're a really awesome device. I should definitely one day get one for myself to just play around with it. Um, but it's, it's basically a full blown little computer that you could uh, carry around with you. I know these days you can carry around a lot of computers, but it's just what you can do with extension packs is it can be a fun way to spend your hours, I guess. Yeah, so I got a couple over the years and mostly to just look into some IoT stuff. I mean, that's very, uh, very useful for that because it's so small and you can power it. It doesn't need a lot of power, so you can power it through just your regular um, um, plug in, in the wall, but you could also get a little solar panel thing or a battery pack or whatever. Um, so you can do all kinds of things. And one of the things that I'm using it for right now is Home Assistant. Uh, so Home Assistant is a software kit basically that uh, has a lot of software and drivers and whatever and plugins to run all kinds of home automation. So basically with that thing, you can connect your you, your Philips U lamp and your Zigbee network and your Z-Wave Z Z network and uh, I don't know, all, all the other protocols and things that you can think of. Um, so that, that's pretty cool. And what I did is also, uh, or what I need to do actually, uh, under the covers that runs on Docker, so that's pretty cool. And uh, a plugin into Home Assistant is uh, Portainer, I think, which allows you to take a little bit of control over that Docker uh, instance. So you can uh, add your own little, little Docker file and, and add some other software to that as well. Uh, so what I want to do is run a little server on that that uh, turns my old dumb USB printer into a network printer because I have a very old laser printer that still does a fine job for whenever I need to uh, print that one page once a year. Um, and you can just hook that up into a USB port of the Raspberry Pi. Uh, you will have to keep it always on. So that's a little bit of another thing that I'm, I'm struggling with. Uh, but from then, you can just read that. Um, actually, you're reaching the, net, uh, sorry, the Raspberry Pi, and you're sending your printer job to the Raspberry Pi, and that will send it to the printer. So suddenly, your old printer is a... Uh, network attached printer, which is pretty cool. So that's something I'm going to use on Raspberry Pi for, hopefully. I have no other Pi running, but the one that I currently use as a cloud key used to be a retro Pi, which mm. was also quite cool um, because it basically is a SNES or SNES. I call it SNES in the Netherlands, probably, but um, so a Super Nintendo or the Nintendo before that emulator. Um, so you could play pretty much all of those games on that Raspberry Pi. Getting them on there is considered illegal since you're downloading ROMs of pirated games, basically. Um, 
so obviously I had no games on it. I just had the retro pie <laughs> and ROMs that were free. But it it is really cool because basically your your entire childhood fits onto a few megabytes. Well, okay, let's say 128 megabytes gets you quite a while away with games. Um, but yeah, it it runs on your TV then through HDMI, and it's it's glorious. Other than that, I don't really have any current use for a Pi, but I'm pretty sure there are more than enough other uses for it. Yeah, those are some interesting ways I can use a Raspberry Pi. Another one that I think is quite uh, commonly used or quite famous is uh, the Pi Hole. Gerald, didn't you once have one of those? Or are you still running? Yeah, so I'm not running it anymore. So the the thing that you can do with Pihole, it's actually available as a add on again or plug in or whatever you want to call it for the Home Assistant. So with Pihole, you can set up basically your network wide like ad blocker thing. Um, so it has a list of websites and cookie trackers and whatnot uh, that will just be redirected to nothing, basically. And the way that works is you set that on all machines on your home network as the DNS server. Um, and from there, it will take care of all the yeah the things that you do not want you to track you. Um, and, and it will take care of that for you. But uh, it, it, it was probably a matter of me not looking hard enough at the configuration and tweaking it right. Uh, but I found some sites that didn't, well, that stopped working basically, uh, that just wouldn't load or whatever, uh, which maybe also says something about those websites, how much they're tracking you and, and relying on that. At some point, I just uh, stopped uh, stopped the service and uh, didn't use it anymore. Do, do you have any experience with that? Me personally, no, but I, I've read some interesting things lately, uh, especially since uh, tracking seems to be a never-ending news story and there's always new ways they seem to be able to track us on the interwebs. And so I've, I've been thinking about installing a, a pie hole or getting myself a raspberry pi just for that case i think it's i think it's always a bit interesting how the user experience goes because uh in the end i'm i'm not the sole inhabitant of of uh, the place that i'm living in and i think it's also important that the non-techie spouse uh does not want to kill me in my sleep yeah yeah so that's actually an interesting point so before we get to that let's circle back to this but i've talked already about the home assistant like i've got a few things hooked up to that, um, and I think it's 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 kind of a rabbit hole, um, so the pie hole thing, um, where you can get into <laughs> with all the smart home stuff. So I feel like I'm just starting out, but I have a couple of Philips Hue lights. I also got the uh, IKEA Tratfree. I'm not sure if I pronouncing that correctly, but that's basically like the uh, Philips U, but then from Ikea, which is a little bit cheaper and they work together. So that's pretty awesome. Um, mm -hmm. And you have like from Nest, I got a couple of smoke detectors. I got uh, a, a outside camera. I got a doorbell. Um, and also I got like the heating thing. Uh, so I have, I don't know, is it Tado? Tadu? T-H? Tado. Yeah, oh, well, that's it. I think it's a German company. Yeah, it is. So actually. it's Tado. Tado, that's right. Jawohl. Uh, so I <laughs> so I actually got one of those. So that's they got a couple of things like the thermostat. Uh, but the most useful thing about it, it, which works together with the thermostat, is like the the radiator valve. So uh, you can really regulate like the temperature for each room, um, and it will of course learn whenever you are aware and whatever. And when there when there's a window open, it can detect that and it will shut off the 
the the radiator in that room. But I found out that only one radiator in my house is actually suitable for this uh, this radiator valve. <laughs> so I have this this one thing set up, and I don't think it's particularly useful if you don't have the rest of your house uh, working together with that. But you know, it's pretty cool. I can I can um, use it uh, remotely from from my app, and it's the one in my office actually. So I you know whenever I'm not here, um, it will it will automatically shut off after office hours and whatever. Uh, so I got a couple of those That's things nice. and I, I hooked it up to the home assistant. But the interesting thing with all of these um, is is like, yeah, how do you make that all work with uh, other people in the house who might not be so technical and do not find this awesome as well? And um, yeah, so, so do you have any of this stuff set up at all? So yeah, I have the Nest thermostat, just like you mentioned. Um, and I also have their smoke detector. And to be honest, the thermostat, well, it, it pretty much runs itself. Um, I don't really have to do anything for that because it's self-learning at the end of the day. Um, so we, we basically have it on a schedule and it pretty much does the job just fine on that. So there's not a lot of stuff to do. And also the, the non-techie wife just has to turn the dial up or down depending on whether she's hot or not um so it's pretty straightforward for that and the smoke detector well i hope she just doesn't hold a candle to it and that's pretty much (laughs) yeah so pretty much i mean and that's the thing i think the best like home automation things um have the best of both like they still work like in a traditional way uh but they also have a way to control it like in a smart way uh, because I have set up, for instance, like uh, a couple of lights and I in a few rooms, I just connected like the, the power cables together. So there's always power running through it, which is something you need to do if you want to set up like the smart lights. Um, because even if they're off, there will still be power on it to listen to like commands coming from an app or whatever. Um, so in a few rooms, I've just connected the power cables together and the traditional light switch doesn't work. So now you need to get like the light switch from Philips U or something, but that isn't not uh, really looking as pretty and 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 uh, doesn't go into the wall and such. Um, so, you know, then maybe the only thing that you can uh, control your lights with is with the app or anything. And yeah, that suddenly makes it harder for other people to, to do that as well. So... Uh, you know, that's that's just the first world problem struggles of um, home automation owners. Yeah, I mean, I'm personally still starting out pretty much at my home. Uh, I, I've got some hue lighting. Uh, I mainly use it to change the color temperature during the day. I really like to have a cool light while working. And uh, yeah, I I have looked into Tado myself uh, for the heating. Um, so to replace uh, some of the, uh, we got floor heating. So it's to replace some of the room thermostats there. Um, it, I must say, smart these this uh, smart home thing. It, it's a pricey thing, and uh, it's it's a rabbit hole. Once you go down, you you need to have all the things, I guess. Uh, but an important thing I think you touched on there, Gerald, is actually it has to somehow come back into the analog world, like. Uh, Light switches are a really great invention because they work even in the dark. You don't have to uh, fumble for your phone. You can just fumble for the light switch and the light will come on. Uh, I think that's a really ingenious invention that someone did there. And uh, I would not want to miss it. I don't want to first have to open up an app, then wait till it's loaded, and then go through some menus to switch on or off a light. And uh, I think there are many things that you can look out for 
uh, or many cool things that you can do once you get a smart home. But I, I think it also still has to be easily uh, controllable or like just keep it simple uh, at some ends. Um, I think the same goes for doorbells. I'm, I'm currently just checking out some smart doorbells. And uh, I, there are some models that where you have to have like a, a little uh, yeah loudspeaker somewhere installed in the house because you can't connect it up with the traditional speaker that you would have in a doorbell. And uh, from my end, the no-go because the, the non-technical spouse, she will probably not understand why we can now no longer ha- hear the doorbell when our s- smartphones are not near us. Yeah, and I, I also, like, that's exactly the reason that I'm not doing the Google Assistant type thing. Like, I, I still feel strange just randomly talking in a room saying, hey, Google, turn on the lights or something like that. I, I cannot get used to that. Oh, no, it's perfect. It's perfect. I, I think I've mentioned this before, but I have one in on every floor and it's just, uh, you'll, you'll get over that. Um, and it's, I mean, I could probably use it even more than I do now, but um, it's, it's some kind of simple task. Like, you know, I also got a couple of smart plugs. So whenever your device might not be smart, you can still put a smart plug between it to at least cut the power on it. Um, so I have set the TV up, for instance, to always be on standby. And then I just cut the power with the smart plug. So I can say, hey, Google, oh, I shouldn't do that because it's going to do things. Oh, no. Um, you don't do it like last time. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> there is one episode. We had music yeah, playback. We had a little music playing on the background. Um, so anyway, uh, and I just say, hey, mm-hmm. Uh, turn on the TV and it does that or it turns it off or it turns on the light. And what I find to do, uh, found most useful is setting timers for whenever I'm cooking. So I set timers for whenever my pasta is done. Um, so, you know, and whenever I want to play something on Netflix, I can just shout it to, to that. And, uh, I mean, sure. Can I do without it? Absolutely. But is it fun? Oh, that too. So yeah, there's, but yeah, there's, there's the thing that, uh, you have to get other people that are living in your house uh, on board with that as well. That that might be the biggest challenge with this. Yeah, so maybe one day we'll come back to this and we'll have a 21st century smart home, finally. At least me and Stephen, or we'll catch up to Gerald. So the one thing, I'll, I'll end the episode on that, but the one thing I tried to set up with Home Assistant, which is pretty cool, uh, also it, it basically works with like sensors, so you can add all the things in, in your Home Assistant and integrate everything with everything. Uh, you can also install the app on your phone and also it sees like the weather and that kind of thing, like a sensor. Uh, so the one thing I'm trying to automate uh, is like my uh, sunscreen, my sun awning, or how do you call it? Um, so whenever the sun comes out or whenever, I have three variables. So it doesn't, um, it, it, it should not have like the wind speed above something. It should be at least like 24 degrees Celsius or something. And uh, it should not rain. And whenever that is true, it should open um, uh, the sunscreen. And it, I think it loops like once every so often uh, to check these conditions. And then whenever it starts raining or, or it gets windy, then it will uh, close it again. Uh, but I can't get it to work. And that's very annoying because you can only test it basically whenever those conditions are true. Um, so I've had a couple of times where the sunscreen would go do things and yeah, I, I was in trouble at home and like, uh, it scared the beep out of me. Why is it doing that? Stop doing that. I'll just turn the dial here and it will, uh, I can see if the sun shines. Well, 
those kinds of things. So that's a little anecdote of how happy we are living here in our homes. And with that, I think we are already over time on this episode uh, more than we normally talk about. You can see that this is a true passion of ours, or maybe we just wanted to touch upon too many subjects, who knows. Uh, but this was everything about our home office setups. Do you have any crazy setups yourself? Uh, please, again, let me know if you are one of those people who have the big network rack set up uh, in your home. I want to know why. And even more, I want to know how I can get it myself. Um, so reach out. Let us know on nullpointers.io on Twitter. Thank you for listening. We were your hosts, Gerald Sluis, Stephen Davison, and Mark Alibon. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Stay safe. Until next week on Nullpointers. Pointers.